Here you go. You have to stand back at the back door. Back door? No, not really. No, you got to stand back four rows. All right, three rows. The guy at the 9 o'clock did it from there. He hit three bullseyes. No, he didn't. He didn't hit any bullseyes. All right, ready? I'm moving. Let me get out of the way first. Is that, is that straight? Good. All right, let's see what you got. Lefty. Oh. <laughs> All right, somebody else has to throw darts or it doesn't work. I need darts on the dartboard. <laughs> They're too light because you're, so, you're big and strong. All right, I need somebody who can throw darts so you can hit the dartboard. Come on, let's see what you got. Wait till I get out of the way. But you might need to take a step up. Not being sexist. Just take a step up. Oh, maybe take another step up. Maybe take another step up. Yay! Excellent work. So this is what we got. You can sit down, thank you. There's no prize. No prize other than that. Okay. This is 1 John 3.8. You flip to Luke 8. I'm going to read 1 John 3.8. You flip to Luke 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. This Advent, we've been saying for the past three weeks, one of the questions we've been asking is, why Christmas? Um, why did God come? Not very many, I don't know, any other religious faith that teaches that God became a man. And so the question is, well, how come we teach that? Why did God do that? Why Christmas? And we, so we've looked at some of the things Jesus has said in uh, Matthew 5.17. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. We talked about that. Last week we looked at Jesus' statement that he's the light of the world. He calls us into out of darkness and into light. This morning we're going to look at this statement in 1 John 3.8. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes to destroy the work of the devil. So then the question is, well, what is the work of the devil? What does the devil do? What's this work that Jesus is trying to destroy? Several things. Uh, we know he's a liar. Jesus says that in John 8, that the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. So, okay, Jesus came to destroy that. He's the truth. We know from 2 Corinthians that uh, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. So he's a, he deceives uh, Christians, and we also know from 2 Corinthians 4, uh, the Bible says that the God of this age, that's the devil, blinds the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the truth. So you've got this, this picture of the devil deceiving people who aren't Christians and people who are Christians trying to keep us from what the Lord has for us. Jesus in John 10 says the devil comes to steal and kill and to destroy. I think it's in 1 Peter 5. The devil's pictured as a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. So he's a liar, he's a deceiver, he's a destroyer. Jesus comes to destroy all of that work. This morning we're going to look at the broader umbrella of what the devil does. You can properly call everything the devil does sin. All of that stuff can fit under the sin umbrella. In the New Testament there's lots of different nuances of sin. There's transgression, which is breaking the law. There's a iniquity. We don't really use that word that much, which is lawlessness. There's disobedience, which is refusing to hear God. Really, but the umbrella concept, when you see the word sin, most of the time in the New Testament, the thinking behind it is missing the mark. And that's why I had these guys 
throw darts. Kind of the picture for a lot of us when we think sin is, have I broken any rules? Did I, God has the list, did I break anything on the list? Which is helpful up to a point, but it doesn't get us all the way to where the Lord wants us to go. It's an incomplete picture of what Jesus came to do. He didn't come just to help you keep the rules. He came to make us a certain type of person. He came, there's a target that we need to hit, and the target is him. We've said this before. Romans 8.29, the Bible says that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the bullseye. It's looking like Christ. When Jesus, when you die, when God cracks open your chest, he wants to look at your heart, and he wants it to be formed and molded and shaped so that your heart looks like Jesus' heart. That's what he's about. That's the work that he's doing. That's why he leaves us here instead of zapping us to heaven when you become a Christian. Because he's, he's forming us, shaping us, molding us. There's a target, and he wants us to hit it. And this gap between where you are, who you are, and where God wants you to be, that gap you can say is sin. The Bible says it is. It's missing the mark. The Bible says I'm supposed to love my wife the way Jesus loves the church. So I can not beat her and not demean her and not ignore her and still not love her the way Jesus loves me. It's not enough just to follow the rules. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I can not gossip about my enemies and I can not slander my enemies and I can, a lot of times I just ignore my enemies. That's not the same thing as loving them. I'm not actively breaking a command, but I'm still missing the mark. You see that? There's a target that he wants us to hit, and the target is not keep these rules. It's become this type of a person. In every place where we miss the mark, that gap is sin. And one of the, Jesus came to close that gap for us in multiple areas of life. This is Luke 8, starting in verse 26. They, that's the disciples in Jesus, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. The abyss is just this place where um, demons and Satan and all that will go at the end of time. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs... And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This 
passage is a picture of what Jesus came, of what we're talking about, of Jesus destroying the work of the devil, of him closing this gap in our life. This guy is a complete wreck, and in the course of it looks like just a few minutes, Jesus closes the gap in a lot of different areas of his life. Most of it, we can't relate to him, most of us. You're you're not naked, you don't live in a graveyard, you're not demon possessed, but there are gaps for all of us. None of us are hitting the bullseye in every area of life. All of us have gaps in some area or another, and the the point for us is to realize you don't have to live with the gap. Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, which is sin, which is missing the mark. You don't have to keep missing the mark by how much you're missing the mark. We're all not going to hit bullseyes on everything until Jesus comes back. We can get a lot closer than we are now. So that's what I want to look at this morning. Just look at a few of the things, a few of the specific ways that Jesus closed the gap in this guy's life. First thing you see is his identity. Uh, names in the Bible are really important. They signify what, who someone is, the circumstances around their birth, what they would do. Jesus means the Lord saves. That was his mission. Abraham means father of many, and he, the promise to him was he'd be the father of many nations. Peter is rock, and Jesus said after Peter made a confession that Jesus was the son of God, that on that rock, on that confession, Jesus would build his church. Isaac sounds like laugh, and when his mom was told that she would conceive, she laughed. Jacob sounds like heel, and when he came out of his mother's womb, he grabbed the heel of his older twin, Esau, who was coming out. Naming is important. To not know someone's name in the Bible, it's a pretty big deal. This guy doesn't have a name. We don't have any idea who he is. We know the name of the demon, Legion, but we don't know the name of this guy. His only descriptor is that he's demon-possessed. That's that's the name tag, demoniac. Maybe the only thing worse than being not known is to be known negatively. You're the slacker. You're the lazy guy. You're whatever it is, always late. The, The labels that we get from most of us, there's some of that, and it bothers us a little bit. The perceptions other people have, kind of the stickers they put on us, that bothers us some. This morning, where I really want to focus on, though, is the label that you put on yourself. I've said this before. I think the most important thing, if you're going to go long with Jesus, is that you nail down who you are in Christ. At Jesus' baptism, the Father says out loud, there's this rumble in heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. This is my son. That's establishing Jesus' identity before he does anything. You've got to get that straight. If that foundation is shaky, if it's uneven, anything you build on it is going to be shaky and uneven. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. The, found, the foundation has to be solid or it's going to come crumbling down. If your perception of who you are in Christ is not the same as God's perception of who you are, that gap, that distance between those two things, it'll wipe you out long term because you live out of who you are. And if who you are doesn't line up with who God says you are, you're going to wind up building crooked your whole life. It's just the way it is. You're, who you are, that, the first thing we see in Jesus' ministry, all four Gospels, baptism, where God says, this is my son. That's why when we do baptisms here, we pass out those note cards and let everybody write, what are you hearing for this person? What do you, how do you want to bless this person? How do you want to encourage this person? It's so important for us 
that we get that. Most of us undershoot. God says this about us, and we think, eh, maybe we're down here somewhere. And some people call that gap humility. The Bible calls that gap sin. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking rightly about yourself. It's agreeing with God. And if there are things that he has said about you, then they're true because he's said them. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read this list. And in your mind, I want you to say agree or disagree. Not out loud, just in your mind. Agree or disagree. Would you say this describes you? Not in your brain, but in your heart, in the center of who you are. I'm washed, sanctified, justified. I'm an object of mercy. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm a temple of the living God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. I'm God's workmanship. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. I'm the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I'm Jesus' friend. I'm chosen and appointed by Jesus to bear fruit. I'm a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm a partaker of a heavenly calling. I'm continually with God. I'm being transformed into his image. I am bought with a price. I'm dead to sin, alive to God. I'm filled with the fruit of righteousness. I'm God's gift to Jesus, sharing his glory. I'm guarded by God's peace. I'm his handiwork. I'm holy and blameless. I'm an overcomer. I'm walking in new life. I'm his worshiper. I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm accepted. I'm adopted. I'm anointed. I'm his bride. I'm his brother. I'm cared for with compassion. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm clay in the potter's hand. I'm complete in Christ. I'm confident he will never leave me. I'm being conformed to his image. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm created in him to do good works. I'm the image and glory of God. I'm inscribed on his palms. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I'm loved constantly and unconditionally. I'm pressing forward. I'm a priest. I'm protected. I am provided for. I'm reconciled to God. I'm the righteousness of God. If more than just two or three of those, if you're saying disagree, 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 there's a gap. Not in your brain, but in your heart. I can, give you, I can go back and I can give you the references for every one of those statements. That's not stuff that I made up. All that's straight out of the Bible. If you're in a relationship with God through Jesus, all of those things are 100% true about you because God says so. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus, those things can become true of you in an instant when you turn and say yes to him. If you're not living that, if that's not the identity that you carry forward, whether you can quote those verses or not, if that's not the identity that you carry forward into your day, then there's a gap. And that gap needs to be closed. The wider that gap, the more difficult it is uh, for you to really live the life that God has 
for you to live. You're going to constantly struggle. The building's always going to be wobbly. And at some point, it's going to come crashing down. Second thing, freedom. This guy was physically chained. And the Bible says that he was driven by this demon into solitary places. That word driven, has it's the same word that's used for um, wind driving a cloud or oars driving a boat. Kind of the picture is the guy doesn't have any choice in the matter. He's not in control of himself. This, these demons are in control of him, and they're calling the shots, and they don't really care about him at all. They don't have his welfare at heart. They're just driving him deeper and deeper uh, into misery. For us, that's not us. We don't live like that. We're not chained hand and foot. We're not being driven by demons into solitary places. But I do think for some of us, there are habits that control us. We have destructive habits or attitudes or appetites. And those habits, attitudes, and appetites control us. The Bible says that Jesus only does or only did what he saw his father doing. There was a freedom that Jesus had to just obey. Just obey. And for some of us, we don't have that freedom to just obey because there's, there's a chain around our leg or there's this habit that we can't quite kick. And we want to. We want to kick it. I, I don't want to eat the Oreo, but I, I can't not. I can not eat it on Monday and not eat it on Tuesday. And not, but come from, I'm going to, I just, it's a matter of time. I'm going to go and eat them at some point. No matter how much I decide I'm not, I throw them all away. I know next time I go to Kroger, I'm going to pick them up, the golden ones. And then I'm going to eat ten. And I can, it, but it doesn't work. There's a, I have this appetite, this habit, and I can't kick it. And that's how some of you are. Two questions that you can ask. One, is there something that you don't want to do that you continue to do? If the answer is yes, then something is controlling you. If you're continually doing something that you don't want to do, if I keep eating 10 Oreos a night and I don't want to, I'm not in control. Something else is controlling me because I don't want to do it and I keep on doing it. Is there a habit that you're ashamed of? Is there something that you do on a regular basis that you're ashamed of? If the answer to either of those two questions is yes, there's a gap for you. There's freedom that Jesus has for you. John 8, he who sins is a slave to sin. The one who the Son sets free, he's truly free. That's the picture, that we would not have chains around our wills, that we would be free to obey God, do what he says, love him, love other people, live with joy and peace, do all of those things. That's, that's the target. But if I'm, being, if I'm having to eat 10 Oreos three times a week and I can't say no, if there's some area of my life where I'm ashamed, I don't have that freedom. There's a gap. You need to ask yourself those two questions. Something that you continually do that you don't want to do, something that you're ashamed of that you do on a regular basis. Relationally, this guy was totally alone. The Bible says he, hasn't lived, he didn't live at home for a long time. He lived in a graveyard. Nobody lives in graveyards unless there's no place else for them to go. We've talked about this before. Read Genesis 1. Read Genesis 2, the picture. It's not good for man or woman to be alone. It's not about being married. It's about being in relationships with people who know your business. 
If I were to ask you on a note card right now, write down the name of somebody who knows what's going on in your life. Could you do it? And then if I called them and said, hey, Bo said you know what's going on in his life. Is that true? Would they say yes? You can know a lot of people and not be known by anyone. There's a big difference between those two. Who knows you? Transparency. They can see into your life. Vulnerability. They can speak into your life. Who, who do you have for that? And if the answer is no one, then you're isolated and you're alone. The picture is not good for man to be alone. Jesus lived in an intimate relationship with the Father and he had these life-giving relationships with at least 12 other guys. What do you have? If you're, I've said this before. Some people disagree with me. I'm going to win. Your spouse doesn't count. Find someone same gender who knows your heart. Your spouse should not have to be your accountability partner. It shouldn't have to happen. Somebody, guys, guys, girls, girls, who knows your heart. It doesn't have to be ten people. I don't care if it's three people. But there needs to be at least one person who knows all of the stuff in here. Otherwise, there's a gap in how you're living. Two things. One, the stuff that we just talked about. Sometimes it's the habits that keep us from letting people in. We don't want to let them in because we don't want them to find out what's going on. But the thing is, you'll never be able to fix what's going on until you let someone in. It's a cycle. It's the way it works. James 5, we confess to one another so that we're healed. These things, if there's something that has you, you're not going to kick it on your own. Because if you were, you would have by now. And you haven't. You've got to let somebody else in. And just take the risk of doing that. For some of us, it's just circumstances. We just don't have the space in our life to develop these kind of relationships. So we need to make it. Very few things you do are more important than this. Finding one or two people who love you and love God and who will stick with you walking down the road. Just you got to find it. Otherwise, again, there's this gap. Y'all have watched the nature shows. Who gets picked off? The stragglers. They're the ones that get eaten. If you're straggling out here by yourself, if you're not with the pack, he's roaming around looking for someone to devour. You're easy pickings. You've got to hook in with some other folks. Next, peace. This guy's demon-possessed. Peace in the Bible is a massive concept. It's not the absence of war. It's the presence of harmony and well-being. So we can say we're at peace with Aram because we're not actually fighting them, but not biblically. There's not harmony and well-being in our relationship with them right now. Old Testament, the word is shalom, kind of a funny word, S-H-A-L-O-M. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament, translated peace. In the New Testament, it's peace. Again, it's a huge concept, well-being, emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, harmony in my relationships with other people, in my relationship with God. That's It's a big umbrella concept. Jesus is the prince of that, the prince of peace, all of that. He says, my peace I give to you, so don't let your heart be troubled. The Bible says that God's peace, all of that, is greater than our hearts, greater than our understanding, and should guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus died to make peace for us possible. So if I asked you, 
top three adjectives for your life? Is peace one of the top three? Or is it scattered, shattered, smothered, covered, hectic, frantic? What is it? Or is it maybe most of us, peace doesn't come to the top of our list. We don't live in that sense of harmony and well-being. We live driven and pushed and pulled, stretched. It's not how it's, that's not what, if there's a gap there for you. It doesn't have to be that way. That gap is sin. It's missing the mark. You might not be breaking any rules, but you're missing the mark. Jesus had the most important job ever, ever, ever in the history of ever. And he lived as a man of peace. So you can, and I can, if he can. Four different ways the enemy can kind of get at you to rob you of your peace. One is temptation. That's external. You know what that is. That's enticing you to do something that you shouldn't do. We've talked about this before. A lot of us fall into the trap of trying to manage our temptations. If you're an alcoholic, you don't need to go to a bar. That's smart. That's managing your temptation. But that only gets you so far. Ultimately, the thing that you want to do is remove the evil desires in your heart that the temptation is grabbing onto. You want to remove the handholds. That's what James says. Get rid of the evil desires, and the temptation doesn't have anything to grab onto. makes it a whole lot easier. If you're in temptation management mode, that means you've always got to be alert, and sometimes the temptations, they're going to come from the side. You're not going to see them. Or you're going to be tired because you're a person and people get tired. Or you're going to have a bad day because you're a person and people have bad days. And in those moments of weakness, he's not stupid. That's when the temptation's going to come. And you're going to fall and you're going to feel guilty and then the whole You don't want to do that. If my problem is I can't stop eating golden Oreos, rather than just managing the temptation and saying, I'm not going to buy, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go to the grocery store. When I go to the grocery store, I'm not going to go to the cookie aisle. Why not deal with whatever's going on in my heart that makes me eat golden Oreos, gorge myself on those every night? That's the, if I get rid of that, then the temptation is weak. Temptation, the second is oppression. It's a being pressed down. I think of it like a wave kind of crashing over you, and a lot of time it's emotions. And some of you feel this, even if you're not an emotional person. I think it may be more so if you are, but even if you're not an emotional person. Just sometimes like this wave of fear or this wave of anxiety or this wave of panic or this wave of doubt or disappointment. It kind of swamps you. You don't know where it came from. It's like the, the enemy just he floors it, pushes the throttle, overload this one thing to throw you off track. And he'll do that. That's external to you as well. That's just, here comes the wave and you're, you're standing in the wrong place. And you're going to get swamped. You kind of just have to fight through those times and not get carried away by that. By those, usually it's emotions, carried away by those emotions. Third way he works is a stronghold. This is when you give the, he, he kind of has a doorway into your heart. He's not living there. He just can come and go as he pleases. It ties back into what we're talking about with freedom. If there's an area of your life, if there's a habit that you're regularly engaging in that you don't want to, that's sinful, you're basically giving the enemy access to this corner of your life. And he's just going to keep, he's going to stay there until you kick him out. You can't keep that door shut forever. 
He'll just he'll keep coming in. And the difference between this and temptation, between a stronghold and temptation, is temptation is external. I can walk away from that. The stronghold is not. It's there's a hook in my heart that he just pulls on, and I can't say no. That's kind of that habitual stuff that we were talking about earlier. I'm doing things that I don't want to do. I don't want to do them even while I'm doing them, but I don't seem to have the, the self-control or the willpower, or the wherewithal to stop. That's because it's coming from the inside at that point. I'm not saying you got a demon limit living in you. I'm saying that you've allowed the enemy to have access into your heart, and he's not going to leave until you kick him out. He's just going to keep playing that note until you make him play another one. So you have to deal with that stronghold. And then the fourth way the enemy works is possession. That's what you see here. If you're a spirit-filled Christian, don't worry about it. You're not, you can't be possessed. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's not going to share. He's not going to be roommates with a demon. So you don't need to worry about that. If you're a spirit-filled Christian, it's not going to happen. But you see what, this is a picture of that, where the guy has no control over his life in any area. He's completely at the mercy of these things that are living inside of him. So peace, is there a gap for you? Particularly in that second and third areas, do you feel oppressed? That's external. You've got to get through that. Is there a stronghold in your life? Internal. You've got to pull the hook out. Shut the door. Whatever picture you want to use. And last, you see this with this guy. Purpose. Mark 5, 5. Mark 5 is a parallel story of, of this um, incident. This is what he says. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. So that's what he did all day. Constantly night and day, yelling and cutting himself with rocks. That was his existence. That's not what God intended for him. Ephesians 2.10, God has created good works for us to walk in. I don't know too many of you who spend all your time yelling and cutting yourself with rocks, but we waste time in a lot of other ways. And by waste, I mean we're not living on purpose. We're not living with intentionality. You don't know what your deal is. I don't know what my deal is, or I know it, and I'm not actively engaging in it. Psalm 118 says, this is the day the Lord has made. So if he's made the day, and he's made you, is there any sense of putting those two things together? What did you make me for today for? And you don't have to spend three hours in the morning trying to get marching orders for the day. It's a recognition. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and he's going to guide you as you walk. If your eyes are open, you can, you can do this. Absolutely, you can do this. But if, there, if you're not, then there's a gap between how God created you, what he created you for, and what you're actually doing. Again, Jesus knew his assignment, but he wasn't driven. He didn't step on people. He didn't walk over people. He didn't rush around. I don't even think he multitasked. He just, but he accomplished what was in front of him to accomplish. You can do that. The same spirit that lived in him lives in you if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, access is immediate upon repentance. That same spirit lives within you, the same spirit that guided him, that directed him. That You know, he's walking, there's a guy who comes, my daughter's sick and she's going to die. And so he starts walking that way. And as he's walking, he sees a woman, or a woman comes up and grabs the, end of his robe because she's sick too and he, he can sense, wow, something happened there. And so he turns around and tries to find this woman and 
he finds her and they talk and he restores her and heals her and all this stuff and the girl dies in the interim. They say, don't worry, but no, I'm going to still go. You can do that. You can be that sensitive to how the Lord is working. So you're not stepping on people. You're not stepping over people. You're not running people over. You are getting things done. You're getting the most important things done. The thing the things that he has for you to do. Whatever that is, you can do that, absolutely. But if you're not, on a regular basis, it'd be great if we did it seven days a week. I'd settle for like four or five at this point. If we're, there's a gap there that needs to be closed. Look at what Jesus did. He works in every one of these areas. He closes the gap. This guy's identity, the pigs thing, threw me for a long time. When the demon said, will you send us into the pigs, why did Jesus say yes? If they'd asked to go to the Marriott, would he have said, sure, wherever you guys want to go. So this guy's identity is demon-possessed. That's what everybody knows. So to flip that, to give him a a new name tag, it needs to be demonstrated he's no longer demon-possessed. So why not send all the demons into these pigs and have these pigs jump off a cliff? Then everybody knows. The things that were in him, they're not in him anymore. Erased his name tag. He dealt with his identity. We never know the guy's name, but Jesus changed the foundation that everybody was building their, their understanding of him on. Every, the guy, they saw the pigs run down. If you read through it, it says that's one of the things they told about. They told the story and they told about the pigs. So everybody knew. Hey, the things that whatever was causing him to be nuts, it, those things are gone now. Freedom, it says he's dressed in his right mind. Relationships, Jesus sends him home. Peace, he's sitting at Jesus' feet, which is a posture of discipleship. So he's gone from being an an enemy of God to being at peace with Jesus, to having demons in him, to being wanting to follow Christ. Purpose, Jesus says, tell. Go home and tell everybody how much God has done for you. He gives him a job, an assignment, a task, commission. Everything that the enemy wrecked in his life, Jesus addressed. Jesus destroyed the work of the destroyer. He flipped it. He closed those gaps. The guy's not perfect. But he's a whole lot closer to who God created him to be than he was before Jesus showed up. So the question for us is, where are your gaps? Where are my gaps? I know where mine are. Where are yours? Where where are you not hitting the bullseye? It's somewhere might not be any of the areas that I talked about. You might know immediately it's something else. But where are the gaps, and then what are you going to do about it? If Jesus really, if you believe that Jesus came, and you believe the Bible's true, that he came to destroy the works of the devil, can you believe that he'll do that in your life? That you don't have to live with the gaps. In verse 35, it says the people were afraid. When they come back and they see this guy who used to be crazy and now is not crazy, they're afraid, and Absolutely. These guys were Gentiles. They don't, they don't have the Old Testament. They didn't know a lot about God. They definitely didn't know about the Messiah. So when you see this kind of thing happen, you, what happened? All of our pigs are dead, and this guy who used to be crazy is not crazy, and he's sitting at the feet of this other dude. What's going? They were afraid. That's fine. We talked about that last week. It's okay to be afraid. Verse 37, though, says they were gripped or they were seized or they were overwhelmed by great fear. That's not okay. It's okay to be afraid, but you can't be gripped by fear. Because what it happened when the fear gripped them is they told Jesus to leave. So you just got to get out of here. Wrong answer. He's the one that can close the gap. It's okay to be afraid, 
It's okay to take baby steps as long as they're in the right direction. It's not okay to get overwhelmed by fear and just say, I, you got to get out of here. He's the only one that can help. He's the only one that can close the gaps. And if you're afraid, fine. Just don't allow that being afraid to cause you to say, you know what, I'm just going gonna, gonna to hang here for a while. I'm going to stay here a little bit longer. That's being gripped by fear. You're telling him to leave. He's the only one that can close the gap. We're going to uh, close with communion and worship. If you're helping with communion, if you come forward. The way we take communion here, there'll be two groups of folks, one here and one here. Grab a piece of the cracker and dip it in the juice and then eat it. What I want you to see with communion is this is kind of a tangible reminder that Jesus did come and he did destroy the works of the devil. This is through his death and resurrection. That's why he can say he did this. First John, he destroyed the works of the devil. And through his death and his resurrection, we see that that actually did happen. So for some of you, maybe it's difficult to say, you know, I've been wrestling with this for so long and I, I don't see how he's going to close the gap. When you take communion this morning, allow it to encourage you, to spur you on. You're not, it's, it's, the promises of God aren't for everybody but you. They're for everybody, including you, who says yes to them. So say yes this morning to Jesus. Say yes to what he's done. We're also going to have ministry teams in these corners if you're helping with that, if you come forward as well. My encouragement to you is, wherever the gaps are, let somebody pray for you. You don't, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. We all have them. Nobody in here is hitting a bullseye on everything. So if there's something going on, like I, I said earlier, James 5 says when we 